Hello, everyone, and welcome to Know the Show, our musical theater podcast where we deep dive into classic musicals one at a time. I'm Michael Fling, the Artistic Associate at Goodspeed Musicals, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my mama, who does provide Annika Chapin, Signature Theater's Director of Artistic Development. Hi, Annika. Hi, I thought there was a slight chance I would get my beautiful goddess of love. I mean, it could have <laughs> been any, more accurate. It could have been any number of things, but like uh, any excuse for me to say the word mama, I will take. I mean, especially in this show where I think it it has a special resonance in uh, a special song that I'm sure will come up at the end of this I, It will podcast. absolutely come up at the end of the podcast, and it's going to be really hard for me to not talk about it for actually the entire episode because I am obsessed with this mm-hmm. song mm-hmm. um so in case people do not know what we uh what show we're talking about why don't you remind us of the clue that you gave us a last episode about what show we'll be getting to know yes i believe my clue was that a revival a much uh much lauded revival of this show featured performers named effie dina and laurel um but they were chickens and they were not in the musical dream girls they were in the revival of Once on This Island. That's with the show we're doing. A, a wonderful, wonderful little show with music by Stephen Flaherty and book and lyrics by Lynn Ahrens. Their first big like Broadway outing. Yeah. And I just love the show. A very, a very beloved show that is that it's interesting when you hear them talk about it too. Um, they say it's the show that they get the most like positive mail and like stories about from people like this is the show that people stop them on the street and say i love this show um mm-hmm. and that it like changes the lives of like people who do it like when schools do it and communities do it like it just like has an effect on people which i i feel like actually is very real like i, I was we were joking before we started recording that like when i started listening to it i was like i immediately had the urge to cry and i was like it's just because it's like lovely there's something about it that is so beautiful that i I, I don't know the show that well, but I was like, I think I'm going to cry. Like, it's just, there's a beauty somehow in this. There is, like, something that is very emotional about this show that I I don't know that anyone can really typify, but, or yeah. identify, identify is really the word I was looking for. But, yeah, it's such an interesting little show. It is. And I, and I I agree. I mean, I I also find it quite emotional. I also just, I have worked on a production that was very beloved to me, so I, I have those memories, too. But I, I think there's something about it that's, it's, it's kind of simple and it's kind of relying on sort of uh, a style of storytelling that is a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say raw because it's, it's not really a raw show, but like it's a little more spare. And yeah. because it's a little more spare, I think it it just kind of accesses those emotions, emotions a little bit easier, right? It's a, it's a fairy tale. So it's sort of tapping into sort of a... a a vein of emotion, pure emotion, uh, more so than I think something that's a little more based in realism. It's like instinctual. It's instinctual yeah. in a certain like it is um, uh, visceral. Are you visceral, yeah, visceral. Yeah, yeah. It's like visceral and and very like it's very yeah. Visceral. Yeah. I don't know that visceral. Yeah, it's just instinctual. Like it is our instinct of storytelling, mm-hmm. and like it has something about that. Um, yeah. yeah, there's something about that. So with that, why don't we do the speed test? Hudson's floor wax doesn't matter. 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 Where I do my best to summarize the plot of Once on This Island in under 60 seconds. Um, 
And the the biggest challenge here is just that I will actually pronounce people's names correctly and or, um, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I do not have a plethora of French experience. So every time I see French words, I'm like, how do I say that again? Oh, yeah. Being real. Being real. This, this is also French Creole. So sometimes it, it's a it's, little bit like I mean, its own like, special thing. I'm like, I have to like think extra hard. I'm like the... How, like God, the bo, the bo, the bo- bosom, bosom, bosom. Yeah, like, oh, it's so hard. It's like, and you see, you hear it on the album, but it also feels like every time it's said, someone different is saying it, and they're saying it just a little bit different. And I'm like, how do you actually? Yeah. Say- okay. Well, this I think the show does want to have it both ways sometimes. I mean, I'm, I feel like Asaka is one where it's sometimes like Asaka, and sometimes it's Asaka. Asaka. It's like a little, yes. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um. All right, I think okay. you will do okay on this speed test because I, I think this is a pretty simple. It's yeah, I, I, I agree. You'll be okay with this. Okay, I agree. Um, let us go back to our fine feathered friends, Effie, Dina, Laurel. Go. So we have Timoon. Uh, basically, there's a huge hurricane, huge storm, um, and we have a young girl who's been orphaned and, wa- and is saved by the gods in this storm. Uh, washes up on the shore, and it is young Timoon. She is taken in. By these two elderly people who become her parents um and as she grows up she sees um on this island there are like they are poor peasant people and there's another side of the island that has rich people on it um that are not as dark-skinned um and she sees the the like prince kind of of this island uh, in a car he gets into a wreck she saves him from the wreck, but then he's taken back to his home, and then she travels to the home because she's in love with him, um, and then they kind of fall in love, or at least fall in fuck, and then uh, she he has to get married because he's been betrothed, uh, and she kind of dies because she gave up her soul to be able to like save him and stuff, so she dies and becomes a tree and saves the island and breaks the wall and all the things. Breaks the gate. Yeah. yeah. Basically. <laughs> That's basically it. I mean, I, th- I think the only part that I would add is, um, first of all, this is a this is a tropical island that is not sort of always specified, although it is Haiti. Um, and also that she, the gods make a bet. Yeah, after, that's really, after, yes. Yeah, that's kind of part of it, that they, after sort of saving her from the tree um, and her having this, this crush on this guy who's, who's driving by all the time, um, they basically say like, can love overpower death. And um, Timun does trade her life for uh, Daniel's at one point, which does not go particularly well for her. It's tough. It's tough. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So I didn't include that part. I focused on the romance. But yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, with that, Annika, uh, that, well, that brings us to Why God, Why? Why God? Why today? Where we talk about this show's big idea, what is the central idea driving the narrative, and what is the author's point in um, telling the story? And I use the words "telling the story" very purposefully. So I've I've struggled with this. Um, again, as as we now say every every show, we have different ways of approaching this question depending on the show, depending on our relationship to the show. I had a I'm I had a real struggle finding something that I thought connected all the characters necessarily. Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and say that to me, the what is clear and a driving narrative force and driving a lot of the characters or a lot of the situations they are in 
are the like what we hand down what we are what we are left with and what like you know the parent not necessarily the parent to child but the generational kind of handoff of information of stories of like what we are expected you know uh, there is a certain level of uh yeah what's passed down that i think is really um like tradition and not even tradition it doesn't go that specifically but I think about the fact that like he is um, Daniel is betrothed and to and like there are certain things and like things that are placed on on the children in the story by the older people in the story, but also by the gods like there is this kind of and then the whole like why we tell the story and the passing on of the narrative and this and the tale like that feels like the driving force um, in a lot of ways. But what would you say is the is the why, Annika? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think you're not wrong to kind of struggle with this, and it's funny because when I looked, I mean, not to give a teaser of another section, but this is based on the Little Mermaid, and and in there's similar questions about the original uh, Little Mermaid story. Um, I think part of the reason that you're having the struggle is because it does feel a little bit unclear, um, you know. And I I think as we were we were just talking about this a little bit, but like. I feel like there's a little bit of like band-aid happening with the final number where it's like, this is why we tell the story. And um, there's certainly a thread of like, yes, telling the story to the, to the child and passing on stuff. Like you're certainly right to say that this is definitely a large part of this. Like this is a culture that is um, these people do not have much, you know, and, and their legacy of these stories that get passed down is is a is a gift and a treasure that they have and you know telling these stories allows them to sort of um give these values to the next generation and it's very moving when you see the little child and like this is why we tell the story but then i'm always a little bit like well but what is that story exactly um what's the moral we're supposed to take away from that story (laughs) I, i i think i mean what i would say kind of probably the show wants you to think by the end of it is you know timoon who has made who has chosen love above all things basically like you know and the and the gods you know this battle that they have of love versus um death she certainly keeps choosing love even even though it results in her own well death we'll we'll talk about the tree thing but then you know when when she's she is the tree and the kind of like Timun and Daniel part two are like there's a there's a line about like Timun made them free to love. So I think there's also a sense of like Timun's choice of love, like like the that everybody in this show who is choosing love is ultimately making the correct choice, even if it means that the consequences are very tough, you know, like Tantan and and um Mama, when they choose to take Timun in, even though they're too old, like that is a, a decision that enriches their life, even though it makes their their life very sad at one point, you know. Um, and like, I think I think you could kind of claim that like it, there's also obviously a lot in the show about colorism um, and class and uh, poor peasants who are very dark skinned versus the sort of like mixed race, half French, bosom people who are fancy and lighter skinned. Um, 
And I think there's a sense too of like love in in that story about like, you know, Daniel 2.0 and Timun 2.0 and the tree eventually are going to be able to love freely because Timun has has given so much of herself to this story. So that's all kind of in the soup. Do I think it's totally clear? No, not not totally. I, I think you're just kind of and but I think that's sort of a, you know, the the kind of fairy tale element of it, the storytelling element of it, I think the fact that that it isn't totally clear is actually kind of like you kind of they kind of get away with it in this mm-hmm. version of it. Um, and that is kind of like true to the original story in an interesting way. But yeah, I think there's a little bit of muddle about it's a it's a happy ending, but like why that ending actually is happy is a little bit like, hmm, is that happy? Yeah. And even I mean, to go and to go back to like just things that led me to my conclusion is like even the story of the Bazan the Bazans and like how the rich people on the island are descendants of France and this like mix and it's like they inherited certain things. Like they're they're there's just a lot of like I almost joked that or in my mind before before we got on the Zoom, I was like, there is some there's a version of this where we just play the Jamie Lee Curtis talking about like trauma, trauma, trauma. That like it's like a, the family generational kind of like thing. Like that is kind of in this um on some level that like, you know, things are out of our control in a in a weird, in a weird way that, you know, anyway, it's an interesting mm-hmm. little show. I don't it know. Is. That, it definitely I don't know is. that what I said makes any sense. That might need to be cut, but I don't know if I that was just like word soup. No, I know what you mean though. I mean I, the line that always gets me in the in the sad tale of the bosom is like that their curse is like that they can't they want to be French, but they can't be French because they're not white. Right. And I'm like, that's kind of interesting because within the show, there's never any sense that the bosom are not like distinctly in power. Right. You know? Right. So there's, there's, they never kind of drop that other shoe of like, you know, Daniel being like, I'm going to go to France. And then he goes to France and like, he is the version of Timu, you know, like that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. you're seeing like the larger. So, I mean, do you, do you want, like, I don't know where you would put that really, um, except for maybe the just there, version. but, but it does, there are, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's, you know, but there's other stuff that kind of is lurking around the edges of this show that, doesn't ever quite get into the narrative um you know in a way that like the revival that was on broadway definitely said it in like a recognizable haiti full of like garbage and you know like a, a a struggling place um which is very true of haiti in its history and and you know obviously in its in its current state it's it's a place that has really struggled um in many ways and that's you know they wanted to bring that into it because it felt like there's room for that but not necessarily that in the in the script itself so you know i think i think it is one of those it's like and fairy tales are often this it's like you know there's there's a lot of space to move by dealing with these kind of more like tropey things and kind of more um foundational stories rather than fully like fleshed out ones you you there's a lot you can put into it and take from it without it actually being in there necessarily so with that Annika why don't you take us back to before and tell us about the origins of Once on this Island we can never go back to before so for this section I 
thought a lot about different ones. We've talked a little bit about Aaron's and Flaherty in our ragtime episode. Um, and I, I just wanted to take it back to the source because this is at its heart, an adaptation of the little mermaid. Um, and it's also an adaptation of a book called my love, my love or the peasant, um, which was written by a writer named Rosa guy. And so I just wanted to talk about both of these, uh, inspirations because they're very interesting both of them and they're very different um so first to talk about uh little mermaid that was written by hans christian anderson very famous danish writer mostly known for his fairy tales even though he wrote a bunch of stuff which is uh what better known in, in denmark but we primarily know him as the writer of these fairy tales and in 1837 he wrote um the third part of a collection of fairy tales it was split into three volumes and this I find kind of fascinating. Uh, the other, there were other stories in this collection. And again, like so, a lot of these were sort of based, maybe inspired by different things, but he wrote these things. And I, I was struck by this, that it was a reminder that a lot of these fairy tales, you just kind of think have existed in some form in the world. And many of them have, but like, this isn't a grim situation where they're kind of collecting these stories. He is, he is generating a lot of these um, which is really remarkable considering how many of them are in our culture very, very, very distinctly. So this co story collection included The Princess and the Pea, which of course became Once Upon a Mattress, and The Snow Key Queen, which uh, sort of made its way to becoming Frozen. So probably this is the story collection that has yielded the most musicals. <laughs> like, probably this is you know, Hans Christian Andersen has his... The Ugly Duckling turns into Honk. Oh, there you go. Don't yep. erase Honk from the narrative. My there's, favorite. There's probably other ones, too, because, I mean, it's a lot of stories. You know, The Emperor's New Clothes. Like, there's a lot of ones yeah, that are yeah. really in there. Um, so, and these stories were uh, translated. They're, like, among the most translated collections in histories, basically. Even though the fairy tales were not well-received by critics at the time. Because... Uh, it was felt that fairy tales, and this like really is a thing that cycles around. And I think we're sort of, we're back in a zone where this is actually true. Um, I feel like the world cycles between fairy tales should be instructional, like they should be moral tales to educate children. Um, and it was felt that at the time, and these fairy tales were deemed too sort of immoral in their lessons, unclear in their lessons, and too chatty in their style, too informal in their style. Um, the people who loved them were like, this is, you know, this is entertaining for children. This is dealing with a lot of things they deal with this. Not everything can just be this sort of like, here's the lesson for you. Um, right now, I think we're unfortunately in a sort of like, all things for children must be educational and not problematic in any way, which don't get me started. But, um, anyway, so, uh, Once on this Island is actually much closer to the original story of the Little Mermaid that that Hans Christian Andersen wrote. Uh, then the big famous, obviously, other version is Disney's The Little Mermaid. Um, even though this story doesn't really feature mermaids, the ending especially is really much more close. So in the original story, uh, we have the same thing about a little mermaid. She has sisters. She's obsessed with life on land when each of them turns 15, which I'm like, 15, eh? But 15. They get to swim to the surface. She sees a prince, falls in love. He gets in a shipwreck. She saves him. He doesn't know it's her. Um, he There's another woman on the beach who finds him. 
And that's the one that he wakes up and sees. The thing that makes it very different from Little Mermaid is there's a whole thing in the original story that uh, the mermaid is told by her grandmother that humans have short lifespans, but eternal souls. But mermaids live for 300 years, but they turn into sea foam when they die. They just die. Um, so the little mermaid goes to the sea witch um, who gives her legs in exchange for her beautiful voice. But her legs are going to be extremely, extremely painful. It's like walking on knives every time she walks and her feet will bleed. And the bargain is if she doesn't marry the prince, she will turn into sea foam when she when he marries someone else, because that's how she's going to get a human soul marrying him. He's going to give part of his soul when they marry. Um, so then he likes her a lot, especially her dancing. Keep that in mind for once on this island. But the woman from the beach turns out to be a neighboring princess. He marries her. The Little Mermaid sisters appear on the night of the wedding with a knife that they have traded their hair for and say that if she kills the prince and lets his blood flow on her feet, she can become a mermaid again. Uh, she cannot do it. And instead of turning into sea foam, which is what she expects because that was the bargain, she becomes a daughter of the air who can do good deeds for 300 years and then she will have an immortal soul. Uh, which is sort of treated as being like better than a mermaid, I guess. Uh, again, this is kind of interesting thing with this immortal soul business, a little bit quasi-religious. There was a lot, there's been a lot of discussion of this story over time, uh, understandably. So that is the original story. And you can really, really see a lot of the themes in it made their way into Once on this Island in a way that they did not make their way into The Little Mermaid um, in a kind of interesting way uh, that we will, I'm sure, talk about. So then. Rosa Guy, who is the writer of My Love, My Love, or The Peasant. And that is a book uh, that is like the, the thing that was adapted to become Once on this Island. It is an adaptation of The Little Mermaid that is set in Haiti. Um, it is about a beautiful peasant girl who falls in love with a mixed race, uh, aristocratic boy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I was kind of like, well, I've never heard of Rosa Guy. And this book is kind of barely in print now. Who is this? And it turns out she was a really fascinating, interesting writer that is one of those people where you're like, oh, I feel like we should know who she is. So I'm just going to give her a little spotlight here. She was born in Trinidad in 1922, and her family moved to New York when she was young. But it was not an easy situation. Her mother died when she was quite young. Uh, and then her father, whom she was living with, she and her sister were living with after her mother died. So she was an orphan fairly young and grew up mostly in foster homes, uh, dropping out of school at age 14 to support herself and her sister and getting married very young. But then she found her way into this really vibrant um, Black American theater art scene. Um, she studied acting at the American Negro Theater, which was a, a very sort of fundamental theater with lots of cool, interesting people ended up at and then later, after she became a writer, she was hosting a workshop that became the Harlem Writers Guild. Uh, she co-founded the Harlem Writers Guild with another uh, Black writer. And it became this hugely influential thing that included writers like Maya Angelou, Audre Lorde, Alice Childress. Like, all of these really influential people were part of this group. And she, so Rosa Guy herself wrote several novels, including many for young adults, most of which centered around family relationships. This is probably the one that we know most now, but 
there were several um, that I would be interested to read more because Maya Angelou was a big fan of hers. I mean, she wrote lots of nice things about her um, books. And basically, she was a, a really interesting writer, a woman of color at a time when that was not necessarily an easy thing to be. And she came from this background that clearly like has some influence over uh, the story that would become Once on this Island, especially the sort of um, journey of an orphan finding her way, I think was something that she had to deal with. So that is what I wanted to spotlight. And then how it became Once on this Island, I will leave to Michael Flynn. And so that will bring us to putting it together. Bit by bit, putting it together. Piece by piece, only way to make a work of art. Where we talk about how the show was literally put together. So there's not a ton of information about how they put the show together, but I, you know, I've scrounged up some details. Um, uh, and I even went through, you know, I say it to a lot of people, there's like a, a certain period of musical theater history that like hasn't really been written about yet. Um, like the not like the like nineties and um and like early two thousands, like doesn't quite have like things written about it yet. Um, but there is like magazine culture and like all these theater magazines that like at the time were like writing a lot of like in-depth pieces about things, which I use the library at Goodspeed to sometimes, you know, scrounge up information. But I couldn't find anything on Once on this Island. There wasn't a ton about it. Um so uh, I mean, people like wrote about the fact that it was happening, but it wasn't like a, you know, the subject of like hot gossip or anything. So uh, maybe because the writers were kind of on news. Yeah. Nobody had really had a, a sense of what it was going. To yeah, be. yeah, I think well, so. It's interesting. Interesting. So anyway, so fresh off speaking of the young writers, fresh off the run of their first musical, Lucky Stiff, which um, I think it's fair to say uh, is not uh, wasn't that successful, but did fine. Um, at Playwrights Horizons. Um, Lynn Ahrens uh, is like out and about, loves, she says she loves to, uh, loves to use bookstore and to like browse for books, which I happen to also really love. And I, I feel great affinity for, or affinity with Lynn Ahrens. I'm like, I love to go to a bookstore and just wander and see what books are out because I think it's always fun to see like what people are writing. And sometimes you stumble into a book that is really great that you never heard about. Um, Ugh, so I love it. It's the best. I love it. I whole it's, it's great. It's fantastic. I love that she did it. So she goes to a used bookstore and finds a copy of my love, my love or the peasant girl um, for $1 and 50 cents and one telling of the story. The other version that she said it was a dollar, but the older interview says it's a dollar fifty. So I'm gonna take that one as the correct answer. Um, and reads the first line um of the book, which is like basically the opening lines of the show. And she was like, Oh, this is a musical. She buys it, she takes it home, reads the entire thing in like an hour, she says, and immediately gets in a cab and takes it over to Stephen Flaherty's apartment and is like this is our next musical. Um, so, and then hands them a copy of the book. So they write the show in, they say six months, which is like the fastest they've ever written anything. It just kind of pours out of them. Uh, and Flaherty talks a lot about putting um, a lot of emotion into the score. He was in love for the first time and also had a friend. He said he had a friend going through a medical kind of situation, emergency. I have to assume it was AIDS, um, but I don't know why he didn't just say AIDS. But anyhow, does it also might not have been AIDS. I not every there are other medical things in the late 80s and early 90s other than AIDS. It just feels like probably AIDS. Um, anyhow, so the 
So he puts a lot of emotion into the score, which I think is interesting because I do think there is just a lot of emotionality in the show as it is, even though as it is like very simple and we talked about earlier, I just thought it was interesting that they also feel that way. Um, the only really like cut songs that we know about from the show are a song called Come Down From The Tree that was written, written for Mama Yurali. Uh, uh, Ir- Yurali, Jesus fucking Christ. That was written for Mama Yurali um, and has been like recorded in various ways. It's on Lost in Boston for all you like complete show nerds who have the Lost in Boston compilation albums. Um, And uh, also by Audra McDonald on one of her albums. And then another song called When Daniel Marries. uh, That was that was cut. But the show premieres at Playwrights Horizons where they had done Lucky Stiff. um, And it gets great reviews and is a pretty solid hit. uh, And of course becomes a launch pad for LaShawns who uh, starred as Tamoon. And so it transfers to the Booth Theater on Broadway and runs a respectable amount like you know, just under 500 performances and gets nominated for eight Tony Awards, but wins none of them. Uh, And so in the intervening years, it does a, you know, it does a lot of licensing. Um, It's done by high schools and middle schools. Once on this Island Junior is a very popular show to do with children, especially like it was one of the first like junior titles. Um, So I made it out of being a child in theater and never did Once on this Island, but a lot of people like that's their first encounter with it. Um, and then, of course, as we've discussed, there is the huge hit revival in 2017 um, that played Circle in the Square that was directed by Michael Arden um, and wins a Tony for Best Revival of a Musical uh, and really has quite the all-star cast um, and really it kind of took New York by storm, I think, in that pun intended um, when it when it played. <laughs> um, it was a really, really wonderful, wonderful production, I thought. Um, and so now and now the um, the musical is being developed into a movie for Disney Plus, allegedly that Mark Platt is producing. Um, so uh, perhaps we'll be seeing more of Once on this Island in the in the near future. But that's basically the history of that we know of Once on this Island. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think many people have had the experience of seeing because it's done in high schools and and um, elementary schools. You will occasionally get to see a very white group of people sing a line. In, like, in which case, yeah, in which they case, despise us for our blackness. Is, well, you know, so there are awkward. There are official lines that they have like uh, substituted, and if you have a a, a cast that is not um, that is not uh, that is. Uh, of various ethnicities is the way that they put it. Um, there are like, it becomes about class and, and whatnot. So that is like yeah. uh, an acceptable quote unquote thing, though. I have to say, I think it's hard to uh, hard to divorce the, the colorism conversation from the show, but yeah, sure. It's about class, but also it's, it's about colorism. So um, that's, you know, here we are. Uh, and with that, Annika, why don't you take us into the words and show us what's inside waiting for life to begin. There are many good songs in the score, but I wanted to dive into this one because I think it's a really interesting portrait of Timun as she is as a, I'm not going to say adult, but like a teenager, not, not a little child. Um, and it really sets us up for some really interesting stuff with this character and something a bit different than we might expect in this moment. So this is coming right out of one small girl. So this is really the first time we get to see her um herself really like we've heard so much about her story 
as a child, but now um, this is her, this is her song, this is her moment. Um, and it's prompted by her seeing Daniel drive past in his car. So the song is kind of a combination I want song and um, a, the beginnings of a love song. She mostly wants in a very teenage way to be able to get out and go and live life. And we really hear all of that stubbornness and frustration. She sounds like a teenager. Um, but this is also tied to Daniel, who is the person that she wants. But this song doesn't locate all of her desires in him. It's really not a love song. What they've done is made his freedom what she's really taken by. So it's not love at first sight, it's envy at first sight. They share a desire to be free, to go fast, to race, to go to wherever he's going. So they have something in common, even though Daniel doesn't sing at all in the song. Um, and Timun isn't just a love-struck, infatuated kid who wants this handsome boy. She wants what he represents before she wants him himself. So without telling us much about their love story, the song actually tells us a whole lot about their love story, in addition to giving us a really great portrait of Timun. Um, and on a side note, it's it's really interesting to compare this song to Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid. They're both songs in the same place, um, in adaptations of the same story. Uh, they're both I Want songs, but Part of Your World is such a different tone and feeling. And Ariel comes across very differently than Timun does here. That song, Part of Your World, is tentative, contemplative, a little sweet, a little bit vulnerable. This song is joyous and a little frustrated and much more front-footed. Timun wants to get out there and do stuff. Everything about this song is more active. Um, and Ariel sort of has the same want, which is to see the world. But in her case, it feels less about just wanting to break free and more about a fascination with a specific place. Um, and I think each of these songs is key for where their stories will go. Ariel's song is full of that sort of vulnerability uh, that this song really does not have. We will worry more about Ariel than Timun, who feels like she is jumping in with arms open. And of course, Ariel is more of a romantic than I think Timun is, even though this is uh, they're both going to fall in love with similar figures. If Timun sang part of your world instead of this song, I think her ending would be almost too much to bear. But this song really port portrays her as strong and um, stubborn and making choices and really craving everything that the world has to offer. Um, and that that is placing her from the beginning in a, in a bit of a different place. Um, it just makes her feel a little bit more in charge of her own destiny. And um, I think that's very important given how sad her ending is really going to be. I mean, aside from the joy of being a tree, which, uh, you know, we'll talk about that. Okay, let's dive in. A stranger in white In a So from the beginning, this song is so fun. And again, it's right out of One Small Girl, which is a little bit more like beautiful and a little smaller and um, sweeter. This is fun. This fun rhythm just digs right in, full of joy. But Timun doesn't start by singing along with this rhythm. Her melody is different because already her attention has been pulled by something else. 
this song starts with the person who's going to catch her attention, a stranger in white in a car, who we know is going to be Daniel. But it's not, oh, he's so handsome. It's about where he's going. He's going somewhere else, somewhere far, um, which we get in that beautiful, like, stretched out note. You can hear her, like, watching him go off into the distance. You can hear how far that is. Um, and she wants that freedom, too. And there's a tension as that note stretches on, too. Then it kind of resolves as though now he's out of sight and she's left where she is thinking about this. So kind of a very active beginning um, seeing this car and telling us that what she wants is to be able to go with him. Now, without the car to follow, she's exactly where she is, right? She can't, like, watch him go off. And she's imagining what that freedom must feel like while still being relatively stuck. These lines about how it must feel are on the same note, only coming down a note or two and then climbing back up. It's sort of like keeping within this same sort of cycle. Her music, like her life, is, is contained. And staying on one note in the beginning there, I love because it sort of gives the impression of her stubbornness. It's a very kind of kid thing, like, nah, 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 nah. you can hear that kind of in there. Um, and then we have this line about even the fish in the sea must be longing to fly, which is kind of an interesting one, right? It's poetic. And maybe it's a reference to mermaids, of course, you know, her antecedent is a fish person. Um, but it's also something that is fundamentally not possible, which I think is kind of an interesting uh, line to include here. Like she's dreaming beyond nature's laws. Um, and she's also living in a world in which what she's imagining, which is sort of being a peasant girl who's going to end up with a bosom of sort of like um, fancy aristocrat is as ridiculous as a fish flying, you know, and I think there's sort of a, a sense of that here, too. It's like she's she's longing for something that is just as much against the laws of nature as a fish wanting to fly. Um, and I love that there's a little twist in the end there. Fish long to fly so that they can catch a glimpse of the stranger in white, right? It uh, kind of circles back to Daniel. Uh, so now we get this more plaintive sound on, you know, oh, gods, oh, God. She's calling to the gods, who, of course, are going to hear her, but not quite yet. And she doesn't know that. Um, and I love that these long praying notes are, you know, you can hear her like reaching out to them, uh, being a supplicant to the, the gods, praying, asking. Um, but they're intercut with this shorter, more frustrated kind of kid-like staccato of like, what can I do to get you to look down and give in, Right. It's sort of as much as she's like putting herself in their mercy and asking them, um, she's also going back to this kind of frustration about like, come on, listen to me. You know, why can't you listen to me? Um, we can hear that she's both truly asking the gods for something and an impatient kid still who just wants what she wants. She isn't a grown up yet. Holes in their nets. Ooh, la, ooh, la, ooh, la, 
continuing her sounding like a child, she complains about her parents who shock her, are content with their lives <laughs> and don't yearn for more um, and don't look up when they hear a car. Um, you know, these are, as we've heard, elderly people, they've been peasants their whole lives. Um, why would they be looking up with the car, right? Like, there's nothing there for them. They know that. Um, and this section gets them back up from the storytellers who are the townspeople here, which I kind of love because it's it's really a fun sound. And it it sounds like they are happy with their lot. Like, as Timun is singing her frustration with all of these people who, like, have humble lives but are happy with that, um, we can hear them that doing that, singing the song. Seems very happy. And then it also a little bit sounds like they're laughing at her with this a refrain. And we know that from the last song, like this this community is aware of Timun, is helping to raise her. Like they all, they all know who she is. And and here they might be amused by her teenage frustrations with them, right? She's she really, really is sounding like a teen, you know, like a, a kid, because this is such a this is a, such a common thing for a teenager to be frustrated with, right? Like my parents don't get it. They don't want more. Like they're like, you know, just settling and et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, you go through your life and you realize that things are not as you imagined when you were a teenager, but here she's very much still on that stage. Once again, Daniel drives past, and once again, it breaks her from her frustration. She thinks she is meant to go to the places he's driving to, and indeed, she will go there. Um, and that is where her life will end. Um, but also, she calls him my stranger. Already, she's feeling an ownership over him. And she daydreams that he's going to stop and pick her up in the car, and they'll just drive away, right? It's this like grand romantic fantasy. Um, on the second long drive, the music totally changes right the key changes the tone changes and we get a little reprise of the melody from one small girl it feels like a little wistful reminder that even though she sounds like a child for a lot of this song there's a part of her that is a that there's a part of this that is about her growing up and it melodically brings us into a place that is much realer for her
Oh, so great. So as opposed to the earlier call to the gods, which was undercut with her frustration about being stuck here, this prayer feels much more real to her, right? Please be there, she sings. And even though there's a little bit of like kidness and she says, wake up, you know, she's she's still being impatient with them. And there are gods. This is not maybe the best way to approach them. But the rest of it is is much more from a true place, right? They've saved her for something. That's what she says. Like, and they did save her. She was a little child who was in this horrible storm, like, but her life was saved. Now she wants to know why she was saved, right? If she wasn't chosen for this, then then what is it? What is it? But whatever it is, she's like ready for it. And she's calling this uh, forth. And of course, the gods are about to hear her. And we hear why they would respond to this part of it, because this feels more honest and raw than it has in, in the past. And I love that as she's singing this part about, you know, she wants to go to places nobody's ever been before, right? It's it's so like youthful and it's so naive and it's so um, kind of charming in its innocence, but you also just admire her spirit, right? She wants to go out there. She wants to do this stuff. She's not afraid of anything. She's really just eager to live life and because she's so eager to live life you kind of the fact that her fate is going to be that the path she chooses right here and the sort of call to the gods that she makes to go after Daniel is is going to be responsible for obviously the end of her life eventually but we know that she's choosing this she we know that she wouldn't be content just staying with uh her village and I think in the the end here, we get this beautiful sort of like counterpoint between her singing this, like, I'm waiting for my life to begin. Like, I want this. Her life has not begun yet, even though this village is singing about one small girl because they are commenting there. Like, her life has begun. Her life is with them. You know, they know that she is a child. They are, I think, singing this partially because it's a reminder of like, she is growing up. She was this child. She still is this child in many ways. But now... They're just going to be have to watch her go live her life and make mistakes, which is what happens when when somebody does grow up, right? You you have to kind of both fondly remember the child that they were and let them choose the life that they want um, as an adult, and and that's really where this song sets us up, right? It's so full of joy, it's so full of um, energy, it's so full of frustration and a, and a lot of like teenage stuff but it's also someone that you just think she's got to do this this is who she is you know she she needs more than than she can have right now and she's she's gonna have to go do it she's gonna have to go experience that because we hear this in every note in this song that will bring us to one of our favorite segments how do you solve a problem like maria how do you solve a problem like maria where we talk about some of the issues with Once on this Island, both internally and externally. So uh, as we alluded to in at the end of putting it together, there is obviously a, uh, this show is talking about colorism within um, the, the Black community and the Black lived experience um, with two white writers. And in this identity-focused moment, it is, I should, that makes it sound like, but in a world that is conscious of identity much more now than we were at the time, I, you know, there are probably struggles with that, but it also seems to be very readily embraced by the black community. I don't, I don't think once on this island has, is considered like not, I, there doesn't seem to be a lot of conversation um, or 
um, like upset necessarily about Aaron's and Flaherty having um, uh, having written this this story and and done this. Um, I'm not totally sure why I, but that just doesn't seem to be a lot of controversy around it. Um, that said, I do think, you know, as we talk about the, what is the moral of this story that we're telling and telling, and telling, it does just kind of seem like, well, team moon is, <laughs> is ultimately like dies because she's uh poor and black and yes, becomes a tree. And there are lovely things that, that come from her, her death. But I guess, Annika, like, how how do we look at this story in terms of, like, it is, you know, talking about real uh, real experiences that, uh, even though it is a folktale, it is illuminating real experiences that, that um, are real for the Black community and how, uh, you know, and it does so with quite a lot of joy and, and, and a lot of times, like, it, it tells a very dark, ultimately a dark story with a lot of optimism and a lot of heart. Um, but yeah, it is kind of this, this weird mess of things that is like it, I, I'm not actively thinking about it when I'm watching the show. And that I think is a credit to the show, but in the abstract and talking about it with you and with friends, I'm like, well, this is kind of a weird show. Like it's lovely, but it's weird. So how, yeah, I, there's not really a question in there, but let, you know, yeah. How, how do you how do you feel about the show? Well, I mean, I I think first of all, I would say that it's I think the show actually does a pretty good job of like I don't think Timun does really die because she's poor and black. I think she is very much the orchestrator of her own fate. I mean, yes, you could definitely argue that like she would not die if she was able to marry and be with Daniel and she's not able to marry and be with Daniel because she is a poor black peasant and he is a fancy bosom. Um, and so they are kind of split apart by that. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the show places her story so much in her own hands um, that I I don't feel like that's the takeaway that I have. I mean, I do have the takeaway that Daniel is a dick. He's a fuckboy. You know, like, he's like, just I, as, yeah. He's a little fuckboy, which is disappointing. Yeah. I get it. It's, he's hot. But like, what? But it is disappointing. But I was, see, I was having this interesting argument with myself because I was like, and, you know, it's the same problem that The Little Mermaid has with Eric, which is like Eric is the least interesting part of The Little Mermaid, which they've attempted to fix in sort of the new. But then I was like, but maybe that's good in this show. Because Timun, like Timun, is believes in love even beyond someone who deserves it, really. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you know, there's something about that where it's like her; she's a little naive. Like this is a this is a coming of age story, very much. Um, and it isn't about two people falling in love for the right reasons necessarily it's about a girl choosing love in a very teenage way you know where you just sort of like blindly insist that this person you have a huge crush on is like the perfect person um that's kind of my more generous take on it i feel like there could be ways to sort of make daniel feel a little bit less um you know like when he i, I don't know some yeah. girls is a little tough for me where i'm like oh this is his song this is his internal you know his internal moment is about 
some girls are pretty and rich and you marry them. And some girls are like beautiful and wild and you sleep with them. And I'm like, oh, am I supposed to like you? I don't think I like you. Well, I mean, um, and I, I think, yeah, like, do they want us to not like Danny? Like, I, I don't know. I don't think that's the case. Like, I don't think they want us to not like him. But I think they want us. I, I think they I don't think there's the same pressure to have him. I, I don't know. I think he's he's supposed to be sort of a neutral. Which, right? like, I guess, I mean, because, I guess. I think we're I, just supposed to see him through T-Moon's eyes, you know? But then when we see him not through her eyes, it's like, well, you saw Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, like, it, it's hard because, like, I I take all your points and it's a very, like, yeah, that is, I'm sure, what, in terms of, like, picking love and and that is that is the, the good moral of the story. Like, mm -hmm. but, yeah, like, it's ultimately like the the pain and struggle that she goes through just to even like have the kind of two-week romance or however long she's actually yeah. in the in the palace i don't know if the, 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 they call it a palace really but like behind the gates and with him and healing him and sleeping with him and all the you know things that are that it it to then be cast out like just because yeah. She and like when the the world like everyone in the community like loves her and like the the, the dance yeah. like she she really does like cement her place as like wonderful and yet she is cast out because she is poor and she's a peasant well black and she and, tried like, to kill him well sure but like that's does she really try to kill him she thinks well, about she she's thinks found of, with a knife she standing thinks, over his body i think you see why they would be like okay, you're okay i thought the stage direction said that she like picks up the knife and then like goes over to him with his back turned but then she collapses so it's not like she like yeah. actually tries like she thinks she's tempted yeah. by like the bad parts but she still chooses not to true but like yeah i mean I there i just think there is a real although i do think like the moment that I think is truly, truly devastating is when he grabs her hand at the gate. Oh, yes, of course. And then she has the money and just, just like the money just pours out. I mean, that sucks. That is a hard moment because yeah. that is so devastating for her that like before then, I think you could reasonably tell yourself like, you know, he loves her. He just can't marry her. And like, he's not going to break, you know, the traditions of his he's not strong enough to do that in a way that she's willing to like literally break the rules of like life and death for him um but then when he does that you're just like oh my god this is get over this guy girl well he talk about like not worth it it feels like you know like it feels like a stab with a knife like it, do it, it does, does yeah. it is awful and it's like yeah and because also for me and i'm sure this is like part of the point but it was it a little bit lives in this like, okay, is he like, it, I, one part of me just I think because of like, knowing the Little Mermaid connection and whatnot, I'm like, okay, so is he like in a trance? Like, mm -hmm. what, like, does he or does he really just does he actually like not even know who she is? Like, she's yeah. just an another peasant girl that he sees or because like, or is it like, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm paying my whore which is a right. Moulin Rouge reference that I'm making in my head. But like, it's not that, but it like, it is such a like, oh my God, like, yeah, how awful that you picked love right. for this person. And then like, you know. Yeah, that's, that's his goodbye. It's just like, here's some money, poor oh, person. It's terrible. Yeah. Oh.
And then she just dies. I and mean, it's, that's a, yeah. And they, and yes, they turn her into a tree, and that's lovely. And I mean, she breaks down the gate, and more better than like the that's better than the original Little Mermaid, where she just becomes like the foam of the sea, and you're like, Ugh. yeah, no, a, a daughter of the air with oh, a soul. That... No, no, no. Isn't she, she? Yeah. Isn't she the foam <laughs> of the sea? She's supposed to become the foam of the sea. She she thinks she's going to become the foam of the sea. Oh. Because she can't kill him, but then because she's given this great well, it's unclear. Um, she, she's like made into a sort of daughter of the air who's able to do good works for 300 years for the lifespan of a mermaid. I mean, the tree thing is like drawn from that original story. Which I, I, like I had to, to yes. kind of live on in Which some is form. wonderful. Like I, I really, I do love that. I yeah. Although I, I will I say that's a tough, when you're doing a production of this show, the gods turned her into a tree is like a tricky moment because it's so brutal to just watch her like go through the like you know she's she can't marry him and then she's tries to kill him and can't papa gay is like you can have you know your life back and she doesn't and then she's thrown out she's just at the gates she's starving he puts the coins in her hands and then she just dies, you know, and then it's that whole like wrapped in the thing. And then, then it's like the tree is the happy ending. But you're like, what? That's why I think they need to layer in a little bit more that like that is a great thing and an honor to be because I think to many audiences, it's sort of like. What does the tree like reach down and smack Daniel? <laughs> like, right. Like, I mean, it's like, is yeah. that better than being dead? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think it's better than being dead, I guess. But you also then, I guess, but you, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like the more I think about this show, the messier it gets for me. Yeah, it it does have a little bit of that, unfortunately. There's there's some stuff that, that are questions. And then that's one of them. And I mean, I think that like, like they very quickly, like the that's, that's made to be such a joyous moment that you kind of are like, great, cool, I'm going with this. And then it's, of course, like, she provided shelter or she breaks the gate right, down. Right. Like, and like that's, you know, that's the stuff that I found really like lovely yeah. about it. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. She watches over Daniel, even though he definitely does not deserve it, whatever. Yeah. You know, um, terrible. Yeah. That, that her love is such that she gets to, you know, remain being a, a force of love in the world, inspiring others. And, and, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Um, I guess, you know, it's still I, something a little bit like, Oh God. It's interesting that, like, also the show is quite, you know, there is so much joy in in the top half of the show. I mean, there's also a lot of not joy, though. Like, it is like it. It's so interesting. Like when you think, when I think, when I'm reflecting back on it, like it's dark. Like when her, when, um, Tauntaun goes to, like, yeah, you know, Tauntaun goes and is like treated like awfully beaten. and beaten and horrible, and like the walk is so treacherous to like get there. And it's just so many things about it. I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like, yeah. I mean, the balance of darkness and light in the show is, is really kind of interesting because it's, it is there. It's in there. Um, but you don't, you don't take away from the show that it's, it is, you don't really remember that it's in there to such a degree. Yeah. Like it just doesn't feel, I mean, it, it yeah. I just think about mama will provide. Like, yeah. I just, you know, like, it's like, that's the thing to me that is like intoxicating and waiting for life and all the like joyous yeah. moments and the beauty of the, some of the like lyrics and the poetry, the kind of poetry of the gods and, and yeah that whole thing. Like I, we haven't really spent uh, any, much time talking about the gods, but like, 
yeah you know, uh i it's just it's really yeah it's re- it's an interesting it's an interesting little piece i don't i'm yeah at a loss for words on what to say it just is no it's yeah. i mean I, and maybe that like maybe that's part of it maybe that's why why we tell the story does kind of work so much too it's like because it is it feels like there is darkness and light in it and there is you know love and death and there's stuff that is really hard and there's stuff that is really beautiful and sort of a fairy tale and like you know it is a it is a story in many ways about the complexity of life even though it is not treated as a sort of realistic tale um it feels like you're watching something that has like taught you how to live to some degree, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I feel like I did not answer your initial question. No, about- I, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, it's just, it's, it's, I really feel like the, the main takeaway is like the longer I sit and like sit with the show and think about it, the like worse I feel about it. And I, mm-hmm. and that's, and so what, like, what is the good in that? I mean, there's not much good in yeah. it. Right. Like, I say not much good. I'm I'm saying not much good in sitting and like wrestling with it because if you're watching it and you're loving it and having a good time, it's a piece of like that is what it is. Like thinking about theater is not necessarily, yeah. You know that. Well, yeah. You're yeah. dealing. I'm dealing with it in an abstract that is like not actually what it is. Well, but it's a, these are good questions to ask, you know. And and I, I think it's an interesting show because it does ultimately really work. I think although when you do sort of ask some of these questions, some of them you know, are lead to more questions. And, and I think that's just a sign that if you're doing a production of it, you have to sort of know where you're coming in with some of this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say, so I, the production that I did um, of this show and the reason that I'm a little bit less gung-ho on the Broadway revival um, than many people were is I worked on a production of this uh, at Paper Mill Playhouse in like 2012. That have been 2012, 2013. Um, directed by Tommy Kale, uh, and and that was very kind of like story theater a little bit. Um, and it was I just loved it. It was one of my like most favorite theatrical experiences. And that were we were kind of like maybe going to go to Broadway with that one, um, and then we didn't, and this other one did. And so I have a little bit of like, um, but it it was just like it felt like a charmed thing. Um, and working on the show, it's it's kind of impossible not to love it. But yeah, no, there's there's some tricky stuff in there that really like I would be curious to ask the the creators what, you know, what they what their thoughts are on it, because there's there's certainly some balance issues you could find. I mean, Timoon is there's part of it that's like, yes, she's making all these choices, but she's also kind of a child, you know. So it's like mm-hmm. how responsible is she for these choices? Um and but again, it, it was interesting to look at um, Little Mermaid and be like, okay, yeah, this is uh, these are the same questions other people have about like, what are we taking away from the story? Like, you know. And in the Little Mermaid, it's the same. It's like, you know, the prince who like doesn't even know that she's the one who saved him is like, cool. I have a mute girl who dances for me. That's nice. I'm gonna marry this other person. And then he just like that. That's the story from his point of view. You know. He, he you mean really... in, like in the original? Yeah, in the, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. original. Yeah, he's not like he's not particularly cruel, and he's not particularly like he's just kind of clueless. He just doesn't know all of the stuff that has gone on on her side. And then you know he he meets the woman that he is the right bride for him, and according to his family, and um, you know she's the one who found him on the beach, and he's like, oh my god, you're that you're the one, and then 
you know, he goes to sleep and doesn't realize that he's been spared death and somebody else has basically chosen sea foam and existence is sea yeah, foam. Right. Like, <laughs> gee, by just... saving his life. And, and um, walking on freaking on fucking like, knives. knives, like good grief. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's hard. And it's, it is. it's interesting that also like the little mermaid story as a general, you know, as a general story exit, like people have, people love to talk about it. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say complain about it, but like, oversimplify it into even like the Disney version of like, oh, when women don't have their voice, then they're considered attractive. And like the the very like raw simplification of it that I think like does is not the point and not what anyone I think is trying to say. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so but it is interesting. I'm that we're wrestling with that with this show with Once on this Island that like if you boil it down as I very simplistically boiled it down to, you know, she dies because she's poor and black. Like that is not actually what it is. But when you boil it down, like in some way, you know, I, it's just how it what an interesting thing that this story is a vehicle for or it seems like a very convenient vehicle for oversimplification that like completely misses the point. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I feel like, the, yeah, the show definitely wants you, I think, to think like you know, her, it, it is a, a beautiful, you know, story of a person kind of who loves too much. Um, I kind of also feel like the message of both the original Little Mermaid and, and frankly, the new Little Mermaid. And this is a little bit like you are a teenager with a crush. This is, you should cool it. <laughs> like, <laughs> teenage crushes are very intense. And uh, very dangerous, and you should not die for them, nor sell your soul to a demon. Yeah, to, well, and, for that person. And isn't it interesting? Do so, not know them. <laughs> here's here's a what I have been also kind of wanting to get to is like a lot of people also say it's based off of Romeo and Juliet because yeah. I think the like teen romance and, yeah, and all that two has, worlds, two worlds fighting. You know, it, it feels like that is like a part of this, but it also has. Um, it has echoes of um, of uh, Faustian bargain too, in terms of like she makes yeah. a deal with the devil of sorts. It's you know, yeah. and like there there are these elements that we've seen and that we see in a lot of other stories, certainly in a lot of musicals that we've we've profiled. Um, that is interesting. That like it is an amalgamation of mm-hmm. of a lot of these things. And frankly, as you and I, I had thought about this prior to you saying it that like you know that she chooses love and that is like um the positive moral and and whatnot and that she loves too much and loves a person who maybe doesn't deserve it and it was really i I wanted to hop in and be like yeah it's giving carousel like oh yeah it is Mm -hmm. it is giving something like that is part of whenever we do dive into that show like that is what i you know it, it that theme is very present and in that case like this is like the version of a little bit more agency and or like active choice making to choose love rather than a little more um, subtle, I guess, continually choosing, choosing love or choosing to love someone who doesn't deserve it Mm -hmm. Um, and, or doesn't deserve you, I guess is really what it, in the case of, well, in the case of T-Moon too, like, you know, Daniel doesn't deserve T-Moon. 
and her no. like he, he that's very clear based on everything he says and does <laughs> yeah um yeah so anyway what an interesting little show is there anything else we should like no although you know i, I think the thing about the writers is an interesting one just because i feel like a it's sort of different time and the expectations were different but also you know i feel like it's a difference between representation and uh yeah i mean i, I there's so much representation in this show i mean aside right. from the the high schools although i i still maintain that there's there's value to having a story that is so much about colorism and um race and class that you know f even if you can't get the the actors uh that totally represent the story um i think there is some value to that in a high school setting for sure um yeah but like also just give such opportunities like there, there's no white people on stage even though they're the both the writers are both white, and I think I think that's something to be valued. Mm -hmm. Well, that will bring us to our favorite things. These are a few of my favorite things. Where we talk about some of our favorite things about Once on This Island. So uh, it comes as no surprise that my favorite song is "Mama Will Provide." I don't. I assume it is going to be your favorite song. But what is your well, favorite uh, song? Obviously, yes, it's Mama Will Provide. The best song ever, uh, ever. It's ever. Best. It's so good. Yeah. It and is... and also, but I will say, like, there are a lot of great songs on the score that I love. But Mama Will Provide is just pure joy. There is, like, a, it is a really, I mean, as a basically sung through show, which we haven't really talked about, but there is, like, a musicality to the entire thing, even the text scenes or the moments that there are text, like, there are, you know, is text and rhythm a lot of times. Like there is a constant kind of thing. And Mama Will Provide is just uh, like flawless. Like I don't know how, like it is such a. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, it's like defy, like if you do not know Once on this Island, if you do not know it, immediately go listen to Mama Will Provide and then you'll be like, I have to listen to the rest of this. <laughs> I have to yeah. know, like, how do we get to that? It is such a great great number yeah yeah and just exactly what it sets out to be which is like this is the earth mother this is the you know the the joyous celebration of like the bounty of you know this is like the ghost of christmas present it's just like yeah it's jolliness and happiness and sunshine and you know warmth it's it's all of the, and that's just just bursting out of this song it's and it's, there's a reason they perform it at the Tonys, both in the 90s and also, yeah. The, you know, it's just it is like it. How can you not fall in love with the show when listening to that song? Mm -hmm. I think it's so good. Yeah. Mosquitoes. Ha. Mosquitoes. Like, it's so good. It's just like and and the idea again, like, you know, the gods that are that are protecting her that are like that that did choose her for some reason and chose to save her and 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 that she has something to give and so like we're gonna take care of you like it's a wonderful it's just wonderful i love yeah it. no notes no notes on no uh, notes um who's your favorite character in once on this island oh definitely daniel no i'm kidding <laughs> um uh I I have two, although they I think they're enough of a unit that I can get away with that. Um, I just really love Tauntaun Julian and Mama Yurley. Like, 
I think they're so warm. And honestly, this is partially biased by the production that I did where it was um, the great Kanita Miller. Oh, my God. I mean, perfect for this. She did it also on Broadway because you can't improve upon Kanita Miller playing this part. Um, and Kevin R. Free playing Tauntaun. And it just was like they were so warm and and wonderful. Um, and I just feel like th they are the beating heart of this show a little bit. And like, you know one of the one of the other things that i think is is on the trickier side for this show is like as much as i think you're supposed to feel that um timoon's love and sacrifice is ultimately sort of a lovely thing like man you just feel for these people who have given all their heart to raise this child who then like just goes off for this for this guy and then dies and becomes a tree. Like you're a little bit like, just go home and be with your loving parent. I mean, I've always had this, I had this problem with the original little mermaid movie too. I just remember being like, why you have, you know, like the, the family that you're leaving behind is like where, where love is for you. Like, why are you doing that? So anyway, but I, I do really love them and I, I feel like they are so wonderful. Um, and I just always, appreciate when they're on stage what about you so i'm i'm gonna give a little bit of a um i i've been thinking about it a lot i i have an instinct that i want to say t moon but i actually am gonna go ahead and say the little girl is my favorite character Aww. and i'm gonna say that because i really do like i i, I do like the we're telling this story to this young girl like just like concept and vehicle for for this entire piece, I think is really lovely and beautiful. And so, yeah, that's, that's yeah. going to be, that's going to be my, that's going to be my pick because I, I, I really, yeah, I just, I really like it. I really like it. Yeah. And I, so, and so like, there's a lot of joy that I find in watching her also watch the story and be a part of like, there's that whole thing is very moving to me. So I think that's going to be my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Wait, subcategory question. Which is your favorite god? There are things about each of them that I really enjoy. And it's hard. I think it's hard for me to divorce them from the performers that I've seen do them too. Like, yeah. in, a, in a way, like it's, I, there's like, and I have only seen the recent revival. So like, obviously Alex Newell is incredible. And Leah Salonga was phenomenal. Like, so yeah. I, I don't know. That's, it's harder for me to pick. That one's so easy for me. I love Papa Gay. <laughs> I mean, Papa Gay. See, it's like hard to not say Papa Gay because, like, Papa Gay is great. Like, Papa Gay is I, such a badass. It's such a like, yeah. So maybe the answer is Papa Gay. But you know, I, th I mean, I think that's a really good answer. Like, they're all wonderful when you're, especially spending time with them. And I think that's what it should be, right? It's right. Like there's they each have something that makes them interesting. Yeah, and lovable. And part of what the strength of the show is, we we really haven't spent much time talking about them, but. I think they are one of the reasons that I don't um, when you're in the show, I don't struggle with what's going on or like I'm in the story. I think it's partially their presence and the things that they are bringing to, to the story. I yeah. Think. Um, yeah. They're such an interesting quartet. Yeah. Um, so what's your favorite miscellaneous thing about once on this Island? You know, this is such a weird and specific one, but I always appreciate about this show that, like, okay, we've obviously we've talked a lot about Daniel, but um, I I think that there's a really interesting moment that happens with Andrea 
his fiance, who kind of when she first comes on, seems like she's going to be the sort of like bitchy, you know, uh-huh. like, oh, <laughs> who's this little poor girl? But then I always appreciate that the show gives her the moment where she says to T Moon, like, okay, he should have told you this, but we're getting married. Yeah. Um, and to me, and I guess you could do that in another way where it's like, ha ha ha, I win, we're getting married. Um, but it, but doesn't, I feel like it doesn't feel like that's the it spirit of it. It doesn't feel like that. No, and I've never seen it go off like that. I've always, always feel it. I've always, always seen it feel like, like a woman to another woman being like, I hate, you know what, like this isn't a victory, yeah. but this is how it is. And, and he dropped the ball on this. And I'm, I'm sorry that I have to be the one to tell you, but like that, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's an, in, that's a, that's a really nice moment of nuance. Um, especially in this, in this relationship between two women, which you don't always get to see, like you, uh, like a lesser show would just set them up so much as like, you know, competitors in a way that like, I think it's very clear that his relationship with Andrea is not a love relationship and Andrea is not like competing for his affection really it's like they just are the going to be married and they've always known that and that's the reality so it's like she's right he should have told her um and I really appreciate that moment what I about you that. I yeah, I love that first off and I think you're very right I think for me my I'm gonna go with uh the broad like I'm gonna say like use of dance in the show mm-hmm. I think is really and like the use of movement I think is what makes again I think the show really compelling even on the page like the it it invites such movement um and such imagination in that way like it it is very rich and 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 ripe with that potential um and I feel like that is often I feel like I, I don't want to say it's lacking it's just one of those things that I think people don't actually that not a lot of writers think about all the time or doesn't seem as integral to the creation process of a lot of new musicals um, or musicals generally in a, in a weird way. Um, like some people do, but like, it just is, doesn't seem to be at least not in the zeitgeist right now. So I, or maybe that's, maybe I'm oversimplifying and I'm forgetting things cause I'm just like talking out of my butt, but I think, yeah. So the use of dance and the opportunity for dance, I think, is really, really lovely about it. My actual other favorite miscellaneous thing is I forgot that Mom Will Provide was in the show when I went to the revival. I was wasted. Like, I was very intoxicated. And we went, it was early in previews, and it was before they cut all of the school children that, like, came out. Um, and so I yeah. said, but I forgot that Mom Will Provide was in the show. And so I was sitting there watching it, and I was like, Oh, okay. What's happening? I was like, I wasn't totally in it um, and didn't love it as much as everyone else did. And then Mom Will Provide happened, and I was like the giddiest school. I was like, oh my God, I forgot this song's in the show. Huh? Yeah. And I was like living out loud. I was listening to it the other day. I was like dancing on the corner. It's so, it's so good. good. It's so good. All right. And that will bring us to our penultimate segment Corner of the Sky. Gotta find my corner of the sky. where we talk about this show's place in the musical theater canon. Uh, I think it's hard. I mean, I, not to be like, make the obvious answer. It's the real like Broadway debut of Aaron's and Flaherty. And they really are a huge force 
um, for uh, their generation of musical theater artists and bring obviously ragtime, Susical, Anastasia, uh, a million more things that I'm not even thinking about right now. My favorite year, uh, tons okay. and tons and tons of shows um, that are that are huge and and consequential to the canon. And I so as their debut, uh, their Broadway debut, I think hard to argue that that is um, a part of it. But I also think you know the obviously the representation of um, black folks on stage is really huge um and a landmark um part of this musical so um what about for you Annika what do you think is this show's place uh yeah I mean I think I think the fact that it is a folktale and it works like it it I, I think it so successfully establishes its own kind of language and um scale is sticking for me I, ca I can't quite think of a show that uh, does that quite so effectively. There's obviously a lot of shows that deal with fairy tales in some ways and some that are fairy tales, but this one I kind of feel like um, is complete unto itself in a way that uh, is kind of special. I also, can, I, can you think of another show that actually deals with colorism? Uh, well. I can think of ones that deal with racism for sure, but specifically colorism, I'm not sure if there is one. Um, I think there are some that are being developed that I'm aware of that are like in process, but like they're not necessarily at, yeah. the, they're not, you know, broadly known. So maybe they will be broadly known someday, but certainly not. Yeah, I yeah. I think it's fair to say that just the subject of colorism and its, its depiction of that and investigation of that is unique. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I think also I was I went back and watched the original um, clip of the original um, production and its Tony performance. And it was interesting to watch. I mean, Graziella Danielle, obviously also a huge and Amazing. influential musical theater artist and artist generally. Um, it was interesting to watch that performance from like 1991. And I'm like, oh, I see. Sh I see shades of what. It, it, she did not work on the lion king but there are certainly in a lot of ways i was like watching once on this island and i was like this is like an early prototype of what will become the mm -hmm. lion king on broadway interesting um, which i i just i thought that was very interesting and i i kind of wanted to bring up i was like i can see where this this walked so that the lion king could run in a, mm -hmm. in, a cer in a certain way um and i i feel like that is worth mentioning yeah now I want to go listen to the score again. So good. I don't know, but yeah, I, was just, I don't know about the score doing that, but in terms of like staging and yeah, yeah, and movement, I was like, there are lots of there are similarities here. So, and that wraps it up for our deep dive into Once on This Island. But before we go, Annika has to give us a clue about what comes next. What comes next? So, Annika, what is our clue for the next show we'll be getting to know? So the clue for this one is that this show was originally going to be about a shipwreck and was going to be half on the ship and then half on a deserted island after this shipwreck. But a few weeks before opening, there was an actual major disaster featuring a boat in which many people lost their lives, um, although not the Titanic. And it was decided that that would be in poor taste to proceed with that particular story tale telling so they uh changed it and it was no longer about a shipwreck 
there's your clue. You know, it's it's interesting because it is certainly of an era where like what does the story matter so like yeah we can just change it a week before rehearsal who cares which is i mean so funny like so funny that you would that just like would never happen now right but yeah how interesting i had no yeah. idea that that was a thing no i did not either i did not either well we will uh see you next time when we when we set sail to get to know another show yep we will but that that ship will not sink. Let's hope. Let's hope it doesn't, uh, you know, we don't find out a week before we record the podcast that <laughs> something terrible, who knows, God, I shouldn't even make a joke. With the world as it is today. Oh, the world has gone mad today. Also, I cannot believe we got through this whole episode without saying more amusing than mangoes i mean or also even just me not going some say yeah because that's there's so many good hooks in this score so many good hooks. so many good hooks dun 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 it's hard like rain, when i was like rain. reading i was gonna say when i was like reading it i was like i'm like playing my desk like it's the drum i'm like yeah give rhythm it's so fun but uh, it's ugh, so what a delightful delightful well we will, that that is that wraps it up that will we will we will see you next time see you <laughs> bye, next everyone. time bye <laughs> bye